Well, hello, listeners. Welcome back to Life on Side B, a ministry of Pashashif where we explore the beauty, joy, and challenges of living according to the traditional sexual ethic as LGBT and same-sex attracted Christians. Um, we are just family again today. Not all family, but the whole, not the whole family is here, but we are here together. Welcome, y'all. Sarah, it's been a little bit. You're back. It's good to be back with (laughs) y'all. We are so glad to see you. So anyway, how's everyone doing? Anything new? Anything fun? What's going on? Well, as per the last episode, Mm -hmm. I've mostly gotten the baby in a sleep routine. Oh, wow. that has made life easier. We still got a little few bumps to get through, but he's sleeping a lot better. Okay. (gasps) So there's that. That's good. That's important. Very. Yeah. Even though he's kind of crying right now, but we're hoping he goes back to sleep. Okay. Because that's how this works. Yes. We have a baby joining us as a guest today. Uh, (laughs) So good. Yeah. I do have a very fun announcement. Okay. I have okay. an employment announcement. Ooh. I have a new job. Hey, Congrats. That's we good. Where? Yes. Say more. So I am, um, you know, everyone knows I've, been, I've worked for a ministry in Columbia, South Africa for mm-hmm. eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, February, I decided to leave that job. Good terms. Everything just decided I needed to focus more on LGBT ministry. Um, working on LGBT inclusion and all these things. I've been kind of looking for a while of what that was going to look like. And I have now taken a, um, a staff position at Posture Shift. Hey, so, so I was working part-time with I'm Posture sorry. Shift before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was. And then um, I... Um, took a break for a little bit as I again figured out like what that was going to look like and all of that back okay. in January and I have decided to go on as a full staff now doing cool. um, content and resources and all of that so it's really really exciting and it works out perfectly as we've created this um, partnership between Life on Side B and um, Posture Shift but by the yeah. way listeners you might hear crying babies in the background as well that might be coming from my end I have like 10 people in my house for the week so, so crazy. so many All babies as guests. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we love. I don't know. Do you hear this baby crying? <laughs> I, I hear yours. Mine stopped. Yeah, mine is. <laughs> mine's still here. So okay, um, getting into a little bit. We're we're here talking about LGBTQ community as chosen family. Yeah, we've talked in previous episodes about, um, about like side A, side B kind of stuff, but we're now going to talk a little bit about the broader community, like side B people, like our place as side B people in the broader community of the LGBTQ community. And it's kind of fitting because it's what? So we're going to talk about this as family. And um, I guess as a conversation starter, you know, sometimes I send these to you, sometimes I don't. I guess this is one that I'm not sending. What, what, how would you, I'm, I'm making this up as I go, um, how, tell us about your first experience in the LGBTQ community or in relationship to the LGBTQ community. 
Oh, what was wow. that like? Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I can share my... Oh, unless someone already has theirs. Because I, I know I put you on the spot, so I don't know if you need time to think. You got it, Grant? Yeah, I can go first. Okay. I, I think I really began to feel a part of the broader LGBTQ community in college. And there was a group on campus. Um, it was called Spectrum. And at first, of course, I was very frightened. Um, I was still semi-closeted at the time. Um, I didn't know what words I wanted to use to describe myself. There was that additional level of confusion as a, um, a conservative Christian uh, sexual minority. Like, what do I call myself? I just want to follow Jesus. Um, and so I got involved with a student group on campus. Um, and it was such a positive experience. I love Spectrum so much. Um, it was mostly weekly meetings, um, but I, there were also some events on campus. And one of the events that was kind of, I guess, paradigm shifting for me, or um, I just, it was really important to me was every year uh, my university put on um, a, an event where local drag queens would come in and perform um, in the ballroom. Uh, and so it was called Good Queen Fun, uh, which is a stellar name. <laughs> stellar love name. Love it. Good Queen Fun. And there was one performance to Katy Perry's uh, Unconditionally. Okay. And... I swear it was like a spiritual experience because this performance was so good and it like, it was very emotional. And I was like, why am I so emotional? Oh, because I want unconditional love. And like, that's a, a, a thing I was processing through as, as a sexual minority in a Christian context, like a desire to be unconditionally loved. So those are my first experiences in the broader <sighs> LGBTQ community. That's an amazing yeah. one. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Those first times are always scary. So when you first scary. Step in. You're like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know. All I know is what the pastors have told me mm -hmm. about how they all have fangs and they're all just trying to kill you. Fangs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just think of, I'm just thinking of like Entangled where Rapunzel's in the tower and then like her mother just starts telling her that all the people oh, outside yeah. have fangs and like they're all just trying to kill her. So anyway, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Ashley, Sarah, either of you have experience you want to share? I have none to speak of. So okay, okay. I have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> My exposure to the broader LGBT community is YouTube well, and Tumblr. What was your first internet? Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, Ooh. all of Tumblr. There's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the very least, like, the reason I made one. Uh, trying to think, probably, randomly, was probably Ash Hardell's YouTube page. Mm -hmm. YouTube okay. channel. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, back before that was their name. Mm -hmm. Um they did a reaction video with like some different YouTubers of 
a very violent coming out of some kid and of like the different ones that were in the video I kind of like went and looked at them and I liked their stuff because it was very informational she they had a lot of very educational videos and I liked those and at the time that was when I was starting to delve in the internet so that was probably that was probably my first dive into what would be non-christian LGBT mm-hmm. interactions Cool. Sarah, what about you? I feel like I can't think of any particular memories, but I know that like freshman year me went to events as an ally um, and did a lot of like that kind of energy. But the one that sticks out was my sophomore year um, during African American Heritage Month. They had an event with a black lesbian talking about the research that she did on um, women's queer spaces in DC and it was so cool and so fascinating and I think was a, a moment that I like very clearly saw like what queer me could be like and knew, like I think seeing that representation of someone who held both identities was really important for me um, I was so nervous and I went by myself and was still kind of in denial it was after I had told Jesus, no, we weren't going to have the queer conversation the first time, but I was still kind of dragging my feet of like, mm. he's persistent. Hard to relate yeah. to that. <laughs> I hard to relate to that. We're just not yeah, going to yeah. talk about Well, it. Jesus, this was fun. We began this. I'm ending it. We're moving on. Um, <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm, I'm, I decide this time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I like that it was also the first time. This was after the first time yes. that I told you yes. we were not having this uh-huh. <laughs> I think I was a little bit still in denial, but I think going to that event, it was like, oh, like this is the kind of love that I want to like, this is what my life could look like. And this is what, because I grew up, I had neighbors who were gay, but they were white and older than me, like in their sixties. And so I think I didn't even have a conception of like what it could look like for me. Um, and I think that event was really kind of gave me the courage to continue the conversation and I think mm-hmm. really validated queer studies as an academic interest in a way that yeah. I hadn't thought about before yeah yeah that's really good I, I I think that that's so important like I think there's also as you said there's something so unique especially like as you said, to see not just a queer person, but a queer person, they go, this is someone like mm-hmm. me yeah. in my yeah. situation. Yeah. And that kind of interacts with all of my uh, overlaying identities and, and all of this stuff that's really good. Yeah. I was trying to like, well, it's funny. I said this question and then I just remembered my like first experience in the LGBTQ community, which was really weird. Um, I decided when I was like 19, no, 18, 19. I was gonna go to a gay bar for the okay. first time. And let me just say that like, never go to a gay bar or a gay club by yourself. I don't yeah. care you are. just don't go. It's not, <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good situation. I don't, I don't side B side, whatever you are, just yeah. never fun. Um, and I still remember, first of all, I didn't at the time as an 18 year old understand the difference between a gay club and a strip club. Let's just say, got a really bad situation at the beginning, moved to another location, had a better oh, situation. Wow, wow. <laughs> because the place that I went was this, like a street where it was like very, very gay. Like all of the like 
buildings were yeah. were coordinated, painted as a rainbow. Oh wow! Like this one, yeah, oh, this one blue. Like that's how, that's how open like this area was. So it was literally like you would go to one gay bar and then right next to it was another and then another. And so I didn't realize that some of these are different types of gay bars um, and gay clubs. And then I finally made it to another one. And then I was sitting in there. Also, young me did not realize that club life does not start until 11 p.m. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went at 8 p.m., you know, Aww. those kind of yeah. things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then um, I still remember I sat there for multiple hours and obviously can't drink. So <laughs> just sat there with my soda. Oh, um, that's so and... sad. <laughs> that's, sad. <laughs> that's terrible. Well, and then I still remember that I was in this area and it looked like such a small room. And I was like, what is this? This is so weird. And so then it finally got to 10 o'clock and I was literally about to go home and then literally a wall opened. It was like the entire thing was a door. And then it was like, that was the dance floor. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, this is making more sense. <laughs> I was like, now I understand. So there was a lot more that happened that night and we won't get into that, but like that was my first experience. Yeah. In any kind of gay culture. Yeah, go ahead. When you were just sitting there by yourself for three hours before it got busy, (laughs) did people talk to you? (laughs) Well, okay, so for context, I got to, I got to, um, it's Wilton Manors in South Florida, because I'm in South Florida, so it's fine to say that, you know. Um, It was in Wilton Manors. I got to Wilton Manors around eight o'clock, and I didn't know where to go. So I got to Wilton at eight. I wasn't in bar for three hours, so I should clarify that. Um, I was... I was there, I walked around for probably 30 minutes. Again, I'm, I'm, talk- I'm talking like 12 years after trying to remember <laughs> everything on that night. Um, I think I was in the strip club for like 30 minutes or something. And then yes. I walked over and I found the other one. And I just looked for the biggest building with rainbow flags on it. And I was like, that one, I'm gonna go into that one. Um, and so then that's how I found that one. So to answer your question at the beginning, <gasps> Oh, Becca's here. Becca. Hello. Evening. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. What, we're so glad you're here to join us. Thanks. Me too. I'm sorry that I was just dropping in late. Oh, no, you're fine. Life. Good surprises. Yeah. Yes. Children, things, mm. all of this. We're sharing our we're sharing our stories of our first experience in LGBT community culture. And I was talking about my first time in a gay club as an 18 Where he nice. walked into a strip club, got scared, went and consoled himself with a Sprite for three hours. <laughs> so no one came and while I was sitting there with my soda, no one came and talked to me. But I think I was also afraid for anyone to talk to me. Now, people did talk to me afterwards. I made some friends there. But um, that was later yeah. on. That's so, yeah. wild to me. But let's just say it like scared it. me out of out of gay clubs for at least another two years um, mm-hmm. of my well, you know, yeah. Yes. Do you remember, Becca, your like first experience with LGBT culture, community, anything like that? Um, I do. So like the typical story of I kind of figured out that I was attracted to not the boys um in middle school 
so that by the time I was like eighth or ninth grade, I had a pretty good idea, but I wasn't really sure what to do about it. Mm -hmm. um, except that I had learned very early on, and this was like 93, 94, um, that to be a lesbian was to love the Indigo Girls. <laughs> um, that was just part of the culture. That was, yes. that was lesbian culture yes. making in the South. That's true. And they were playing at a music festival in downtown Chattanooga and were playing on a Sunday night. So I went to church because we still had Sunday night church in the summer because Baptist. Um, but I hitched a ride to the festival with a woman from my church and in no lie, a rainbow print broomstick skirt because hippie lesbian in 94 um, went to an Indigo Girls concert downtown Chattanooga and oh it was like this brave new world sort of yeah. experience of look at all these people who are much more like me than the people I spend the majority yeah. of my time yeah. <laughs> and it was delightful um, so that was like the first time that I saw lots of people and they weren't closeted or ashamed or mm. anything, but they weren't also like being like crazy inappropriate, which is the stereotype that usually went along with it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a pride festival. It was people being normal at a music festival yeah. and it was fantastic. Yeah. Okay, I'm. I also am really fascinated by this skirt. Uh -huh. I don't know why that's like one of the highlights. Yes. From story. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what the broomstick hippie skirt is? What is Josh? that? No. Okay, it, it's no. a long skirt, and I don't know why it was called a broomstick skirt, but it was basically tie dyed in circles around the skirt, and when you washed it you twisted it while it was still wet and tied it in a knot and it made it like the super wrinkly and it was like ankle length so you wore it with like the big oh, flowy clothes kind of things we'll put um, a, an image of I a broomstick skirt I'm, in the show notes I'm, oh i have seen we these have before seen okay yeah. i'm gonna put a picture in our in our group chat um but yes rainbow tie-dye broomstick skirt yeah Okay. I yeah, and we will put it in the show notes. It's delightful for sure for all the young whippersnappers that... who weren't around back in the day. Wow! Wow! <laughs> I kind of want one. <laughs> Isn't it great? Here, here y'all. I just put it in the oh, chat. Oh yes, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Everybody, let me see. Uh -huh. yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't okay. Know that no, that was... that's not what oh. I had. But mm -hmm. close. Oh. Okay. Yes. So wait, why did you tie it in a knot? Okay because it would hold the wrinkles in place while it dried to have make it have its texture i okay. see okay okay oh crinkly okay okay yeah. interesting yeah. things you learn yeah. well you know y'all we it's pride month mm -hmm. shocker i don't know if anyone here knew been that. totally under, unaware mm -hmm. for the past few days um, on the internet as everyone <laughs> has been fighting about it yeah. Constantly. Mm -hmm. I, know. Mm -hmm. I, I think know. I think Grant's like a little hyper aware. Of <gasps> I love that. Um, I was at a church convention for the first of June, and I start swiping through my social media feeds next to pastors, and it's just rainbow, yeah. rainbow, 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 triangle, rainbow, yeah. rainbow, rainbow. So yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "What's yes, happening?" Yes. Oh, it's June first. Okay. 
Um, so I guess to start us off with this, like, you know, we've had these experiences, all of this. I, I was reading, I was remembering in Dr. Yarhouse's, uh, I always remember, I have to remember his name is not Yardhouse, it's Yarhouse. Um, that in his book, Costly Obedience, he actually talks a little bit about this, like the difficult relationship between the side B community and the broader yeah. LGBTQ community that not everyone really knows even how to handle this relationship or if they have any at all. So I'd just like to start out by asking everyone, how do you process your relationship to the broader LGBTQ community as side B Christians? Um, what is that like for you? Um, I can go first. I Yeah, go ahead. When someone asks me about like my experiences with pride, um one of the experiences I go to was one of the 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 pride festivals I went to when I was in college. Um and the context that year, I can't remember which year exactly it was. But it was a year when uh, Springfield, Missouri had just repealed anti-discrimination policies for LGBTQ people citywide. Um, so they had instated anti-discrimination policies and then there was like um, a mass movement from local churches, including one very prominent megachurch um, that very quickly got a lot of signatures on clipboards because there were people with clipboards in the lobbies of the churches um, to repeal those anti-discrimination policies. Um, this was the first time I had ever become really politically active. Um, I went door to door and had conversations with people about why we should keep the anti-discrimination policies in effect. And I shared how they would affect me like uh, this this is very personal because it affects my ability to get a job um, to get an apartment to use public accommodations um, and so it was more of a somber tone this pride um, and so I was just thinking of how I just I, I felt a lot of solidarity with the broader LGBTQ community at that pride. Because I was thinking, wow, we have all just been affected by something um, that's really difficult. Um, and in some sense, it sort of bound us together. So that's, I guess, that's an experience I draw from when I think about how I relate to the broader LGBTQ community um, and during pride. Um, but yeah, it's not always, it's, it's not always that simple, but that's something I think about a lot. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah. I, I think a lot about how like your experience connects a little bit to experience I had of when you have those moments where you just feel like it brings us all together and we're having a mutual, like, I think a global one, especially that I've heard even like in South America has been the Pulse nightclub shooting, which yeah. obviously the memorial, like the anniversary is coming up in this week. Um, 
it was something that I feel like you didn't even have to be connected to anyone there. You didn't have to be connected to the club or anything. And just people felt like it impacted everyone yeah. that I know. Um, and there was just this moment of going, wow, our community is being attacked. Yeah. That could have been me, th these moments. Um, and brings that feeling of, I remember that was the moment for me when I felt like a call from God. I wasn't in ministry to the LGBT, like within this conversation at the time. But that was the moment I felt like God was saying like, your, your family needs you. And it was that first moment I felt like from God calling the LGBTQ community. Well, not the first time, but like the first time I felt like within my faith of God calling the LGBTQ community my family, for sure. I think, I like, I obviously remember Pulse too, and like I said, I don't really have any interaction with the broad LGBTQ community. I'm from a small area. We don't usually have pride. Um, the local governments don't recognize Pride Month. It's not really a thing down here. But I do remember when that happened, it was like I had just got back to the States like within mm. days of that. I think a few, may, at most, maybe a couple weeks. Wow. And I still didn't feel like a connection to them at that point. I had just been like kind of processing my sexuality at that point, maybe, um, I guess a couple years or so. I mean, a little bit off and on, but more like I think I had started thinking about it when um, marriage equality had passed but I still was like that was that was still that was still them that was still everybody else that was still not not me and then when that happened it was like no it's that's that those, those people are just like yeah. me. I've never even been to a club period I'm that homeschooled like I don't have no desire to do that if you go do that I don't care for it have fun like it's not my thing like I don't go to clubs I've never been part of like what people call the broader LGBT community but that moment felt like the reason that those people mm -hmm. died is the same reason I would have in that situation mm -hmm. like it didn't really have to do with the fact my mom was like that's what that's why people shouldn't go to clubs like oh, she wow like, well. She's like, you shouldn't be out late at night. I'm like, mm. exactly what my mom's response. That's not them. <laughs> Nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> like, but it was like, it just, it was just this very somber moment of me realizing it's like, no, that, that I'm not any better. It's there's there, there, the subtle differences don't matter in those moments. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I felt like. I would actually say we in relation to the rest of the LGBT community. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I really think it united people. Like, I think that that was that one thing where just everyone realized how much um, there was a chance that could have been me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and united people in that way. And I mean, that's the reason why I live. I mean, so crazy part is that, um, I think that that was happening during gay days of Disney. Oh, wow. I'm trying to remember specifically. I can't remember. Um, because I remember that I had been thinking at the time of potentially going. Uh, you know, I'm, I live two hours away from Orlando. And I had been thinking of going. And I used to go um, to Pulse in my um, in my party days. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when I went to a strip club thinking it was a gay club, mm -hmm. like, you know, a dance club. So, those days. 
um, but and but I, I don't even think that, that like obviously for me that made it very personal like last year was the first time I went to Pulse um, just because it was just so crazy yeah. that it happened there and um, so close to home but at the same and also like on top of that um, it was especially close to home for me because the mosque that the the, the guy who the the shooter attended um, was four miles from my home. Oh wow! So he was from my community, and then had gone up there. But again, I, I think that while that made it very personal for me, at the same time, I, I found that I could find someone in South America, I could find someone in Europe, I could find someone anywhere around the United States, and they would have been like that was similar and impactful for me. Hmm. Sarah, Becca, do you have any thoughts on this? How you've processed your relationship to the LGBTQ community? Um, yeah, like I was thinking through that kind of political activism side of it as well, that the first time that anything like that happened, that really got me thinking about those things was with um, the Prop 8 movement in California. I think it was mm. back in 08, um, looking at adding to the state constitution about making marriage specifically between a man and a woman. And that impacted me because a friend of mine from college um, was in a same-sex marriage and they had just gotten married. And the question was, so what happens, like if this goes into effect, what happens to us now? Yeah. And that was the first time that I really saw how those laws and how acts and propositions and resolutions impact people's daily lives um, that if you're talking about just a matter of political liberty um, you know things as practical as joining their insurance and their checking accounts and things like that of well now what are we yeah. going to do if this goes into effect yeah. and understanding that this is something that's that i had only discussed up to that point on more of like a a theoretical theological let's just exactly. have a, an academic debate kind of thing and that was the first time that it really brought it to a no this is something that impacts people's lives um mm -hmm. and that was very good for me so that from that point I was able to recognize, oh, you know, this is about you so that every time things would come up um, all the way to things that Tennessee did just within the last couple of years um, based on anti-discrimination laws and things being repealed and things being put into place of I could lose my job because I was teaching in a private Christian school simply for saying I experienced same-sex attraction, I legally could have been fired. Um, and mm. even though Tennessee is an at-will state for work anyway, it just added to that, well, now there's a legal excuse to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it really has been the political historical events like that that have helped me solidify and understand where I fit into that culture. Um, because like Ashley, other than my experience with the Indigo Girls concert, like that was it. Yeah. Really. Like I went like full force in the ninth grade and then was not a part of any of that um, until college. So it, um, yeah, that's really what got me started with it. Yeah. And I remember when 
it was it was funny that when um, marriage equality passed in 2015, I was mm-hmm. in South America. I had been for uh, about almost six years at that point. Wow. Um, I didn't even know it was coming up. I didn't know it was a thing that was being processed. I didn't know that that was going to happen. Like, not that it really mattered to me, but yeah. I remember like all of a sudden, like all my, you know, people, my Facebook feed is very mixed from, you know, people from over there and people from home and, and all that. And all of a sudden, all my United States, you know, stuff is, it's, it's news being shared and, you know, rings with rainbows and news articles. And, and then, you know, obviously all the people from my church community reacting and saying things and it was it was it was almost one like i said it was very surprising because i didn't it just kind of felt very sudden to me because i didn't know what was going on and just seeing how people reacted and like i said just being that was kind of what threw me into a certain almost like a tailspin of like well is that how they would all feel about me like Mm. yeah i was like to what how how quick would I go from being the golden child that was like, ooh, she's the missionary, blah, 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 to I'm one of them. And that you're going to talk about me and to me the same way that you did about something that, you know, doesn't even affect you. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was, that was like something that was also kind of just like one of those things that kind of brings you to reality real fast. Yeah. 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 I, I think so, because I, I think that there is a lot of, um, you know, the the, to- the title of this episode, I don't know if we stick with it, but the one that we, that we're working yeah. title, <laughs> I don't know how often we actually stay with the working titles from the season three doc, but um, was the co-host on LGBTQ community's chosen family. And I, I think that there's these dual sides of having chosen family as well as then you know, our relationship to the LGBTQ community. And they don't always intersect, you know? Like like you said, Ashley, uh, like you don't, never really had experiences in the LGBTQ community. Um, that doesn't mean obviously, like obviously being involved in the side B community is in a form of, you know, being yeah. involved in the LGBTQ community, but the broader one. Um, and, but yet I, I sometimes, I, I feel like the idea of chosen family that we find is about finding those people that just understand your situation or at least if they don't understand your situation you know that no matter your situation will be there even if they don't get it you know um and sometimes that can be found in the lgbtq community like i know that's been a big part for me because of spending so much time in the broader you know lgbtq community i never really spent a lot of time in the Christian LGBTQ community until mm-hmm. becoming side B, even when I was affirming, I didn't really spend a lot of time in the affirming community. I don't, I just never did. Um, but um, I spent, I had found really a big home and I would still even say a lot of my community is in the non-Christian yeah. LGBTQ community. Most of my local friends are non-Christian um, and are, are queer. Um, but it's that community that even like, that you know, even if they don't understand everything, they're just going to be there. Um, so, um, you know, kind of continuing this conversation of realizing your connection to the LGBTQ community. In your own situation, what has chosen family um, looked like for you 
how has the LGBTQ community been part of that, or the church, or vice versa? Um, Sarah, do you have any thoughts on this? Would you like to start us off? Ooh. Um... Or if you need time to talk, or if you need time to think. Yes, okay. Time. okay. <laughs> I will have things to say, but it's going to take okay. a second. Okay, no worries. No worries. Um, Becca, can you start us off on this a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely, sure. Um, yeah, chosen family has become a phrase that's very near and dear to my heart, but that is, I think, because having sort of the same experience you did, that that idea of chosen family didn't become really a part of my vocabulary until I joined the side B community. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. There was, there was a sense of community when I was involved with um, Exodus, Exodus ministries and going to the conference wow. and things like that, that yeah. there, there was community and there were people that, yeah. that I stayed in contact with after conferences and that, um, but it was, uh, it was community. It was ministry. Um, and I think some of that looking back now is on me more than it was on other people simply because I did tend to keep people at such mm -hmm. arm's length. Um, I was scared of yeah. having that. Are you going to be able to edit my cat out of the, the background? I just realized she's back. I actually dancing. just, I just wanted to say, I love that each cat is making their own, you know, appearance yeah. in each episode. Thanks Dolly. Appreciate that. That's Dolly Perfect. Parker. Um, makes sense that she'd be hanging out with us for yes, Pride Month. Yeah, it does. Um, yes. Yeah, Ollie's made her <laughs> iconic appearance for us. Um, <laughs> but uh, knowing and understanding um, that need from myself for having chosen community, that now um, I have kind of a, a dual chosen community of here are my side B people and we have community locally and then we have community internationally of, you know, I love the fact that I could throw out there, hey, I'm going to so-and-so whatever on Twitter. And within like two and a half minutes, I'd have three yeah. places to stay. Um, that mm -hmm. idea of hospitality and family is something I'm still getting used to. Um, that is yeah. so really the way the church is supposed to be. So. Um, it has been the side B community that I have allowed to be that chosen family. I guess that's probably the best way to say it because it is a give and take kind of thing. Um, and this is the first time that I have felt in a position spiritually and relationally to be able to say, I trust you to be chosen family. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, I actually was having a conversation with we, I went I out also, to dinner. Oh. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, Sarah? No, no, oh, right. oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, um, I had a similar situation at dinner where um, someone was saying, oh my gosh, like, you know people in every single city. <laughs> and I was like, 90% of that is because of the, like, of the side B community. I don't pay for hotels. I don't. <laughs> anyway, Sarah, this. what were you going to say? Yes. Oh, a um, couple things. One, I think some of what I love about queer culture is just the like normalization of random people doing the things that your family would do. Um, I remember that was one of the things that stood out to me at my first side B retreat. Um, just like so many questions that I didn't even realize I needed answers to. 
Um, I remember, I mean, I'm Demi, as most of you know, and so anytime I have a crush, very overwhelming, has happened like yeah. four times in my life, and so it's like a thing, a thing. Um, yeah. And I got back from a side retreat and was like, oh my goodness, I have all of these feelings. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, and then texted someone, and they talked me through it and just like had very helpful advice. And yeah. I was like, oh, like, this is the kind of stuff that a parent would normally do that my... I think a lot of parents of queer children just aren't equipped to be able to have those conversations in a way that both points their kids towards Jesus, but also normalizes those feelings. Um, mm. And I think even like people that I've worked with who I've been able to process things with and just the ways that queer people, I think, love each other really well and love each other really sacrificially and are willing to, I think because or they tend to be less invested in the nuclear family and heteronormative structures um, there's just a different framework to those conversations. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and I think the person who I consider probably most my chosen family grew up in church with me. Um, and then they eventually left the church and I don't think are religious now, but I've just invested in my life really well mm -hmm. and care for me on a really like and have pursued a relationship with me in a way that I don't think I have ever been pursued in relationship with other people. Um, and I think that has just been a gift. And I, I really appreciate having both secular and Christian people in like chosen family spaces and being able to have the space to process things, but also process things with Jesus and do kind of like work through the shame, but also work through um, like how, because my faith is, so integral to my life and having I think both of those voices has been a really helpful yeah. balance in my life that's so good mm -hmm. yeah I was thinking um, I feel like chosen family is such such a standard LGBTQ experience like it's something that that so many of us believe in so strongly um, and it comes out even in ways when we're not articulating it, like it's just, it's just a fixture of LGBTQ culture mm -hmm. and community. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, part of them are like, we've had, we've not always had good relationships with our families. Um, or we've had additional difficulties in, um, having families being able to have legally recognized relationships or adopt children, for instance. I'm speaking broadly, all LGBTQ people. But also I mm. think what Sarah's talking about, like someone like LGBTQ people just know how to answer our questions better than oftentimes our biological or, or families of origin. And that's not necessarily all the time because like our families of origin yeah. are are bad or um or unsafe but just unequipped i think is the word you used um yeah. and i think that's so normal yeah that's so normal and so understandable and that's why like chosen family means so much to us is because we really need it <laughs> just we naturally need it yeah mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know yeah and I think that like that lack there of people not knowing what to do and I remember a mentor at one time she was talking to me she's like the reason I don't 
talk to you about this in general because I don't I don't know what to mm. I don't yeah. know how to like that's why she didn't broach the subject with me because she didn't know how to however may I, I may have felt about it it was something that I did realize and I was like I I understand that I'm like I wish you'd try but I accept you know that what you're, what you're recognizing to me but I think also that like if we were able to grow up with more of just other queer people in our vicinity at the very least it would really take that shame level down because that that lack that straight people have of not knowing what to do with it at all their you know and their automatic reactions whether it be just whether it be bad mm -hmm. or just you know I don't know it, it it doesn't help us and it kind of brings more of that 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 shameful feeling on us whereas if someone else would have been like yeah obviously it had been like oh so it's not yeah. that serious yeah you know like you have a 12 year old kid who's like have their first crush and they feel like they've committed some immortal you know some damning sin yeah. and somebody'd be like yeah girl calm down not that serious <laughs> yeah. it would be yep. <laughs> i think that kind of goes back to like what sarah said of it's so much of normalizing people yeah, so doing saying, things yeah. does, yeah. that normal yeah, people exactly. do <laughs> yeah random people doing what, 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 what yeah what random people doing. normalizing random people doing what people do on a, a normal basis yeah i love i that. feel like uh, what she was saying too about like first um like my first retreat i only went on one of the side b retreats but i remember it was like um 2017 i think and i went and it was just this was the overwhelming feeling of this being all very new and that was the first time I had done anything to physically yeah. you know pursue this community outside of you know the internet and so it was like it, this yeah. is I can't take it back now <laughs> it was like the feeling <laughs> I had yeah but I remember getting there and it being like one like seeing these people feeling like you knew them so well even though you'd mm -hmm. never really met them and people coming up to me and asking me questions about my family, about just different things that they knew about me from being on Facebook. They knew about um, my husband's immigration process and they were asking me how that was going. Like they were actually invested in different areas of my life that had nothing to do with mm. my sexuality. Like they were just, they were there for me in various aspects. I had come to the States, back to the States, I mean, on my own. And at that point that my little side B community became very important in my life because those were the people who were reaching out to me, checking on me, um, you know, just keeping me company when I was coming back to coming back home. But I was very much kind of alone at that point because it was just I'd been gone for years and they were the people that actually helped me through that yeah. process as opposed to people I grew up with. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that that's like the biggest thing. And and I, I don't want anyone to take from this episode that somehow you have to have a relationship with the broader LGBTQ community outside of it. Because I think that what we're talking about can be found even among, like, we're, like actually just what you said, like finding it among side B, finding it among people where you're just like, wow, we know each other. What is There's a meme or something that says like LGBT friendships, date, like meeting one, 
Here is all my trauma from growing up in church. <laughs> mm-hmm. Meeting number 100. Oh, you have a dog? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, with the internet yes. friends, yeah. Or like, something. I know about all your childhood uh-huh. trauma, and it's like, wait, you have a dog? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We go through all of these, like, big, big things of everything, and First. then it's like we find out all of these random things about people that you normally f- find out on the beginning of it. And, um... Yeah. I think it just comes back to that, like, with the family of origin thing, um, I think for me, the biggest thing that I've I've done processing my... Because I think that understanding our chosen family goes hand in hand with processing our yeah. family of origin. Like, these two things go together and they collide and they, as we try to figure out, because I think normally in a heterosexual situation, the two families automatically come together because whoever you marry automatically just gets incorporated in mm. to your family of origin and then it just all mashes together. Whereas with us, it's not as big. Like for instance, one of my bigger things has been um, lately, um, my family does family pictures every year. And mm. like we do like a b- bigger picture and then every family unit on their own. And I've just decided this year, I'm like, I'm not gonna do a picture by myself anymore because it I shouldn't be by myself. I have family. Yeah. And that I have family even, but mm-hmm. I think that the problem is not that it's rejection from my family of origin. It's that I'm asking questions of my life. Like Sarah, like you said, when you went to the retreat, like there were questions that you didn't even realize you were supposed to be asking. I think it's just like when we get into the queer experience, we, we start asking questions that just aren't there for our family of origin. They're not asking because it doesn't make a, yeah. as it doesn't make an impact on their life. Yeah. And then sometimes I know I've realized where I've been like, are these questions wrong to be asking? Because then my family goes, well, why are you asking mm-hmm. that? And I'm like, well, because it affects my life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't affect yeah. theirs the same way. Yeah. Hmm. And And then I think it's just, getting the people around us like for me chosen family is two things getting the people around me who are either comfortable processing those questions with me or are also processing those questions themselves um as well as then like now i would say a new part of my like chosen family has been taking bringing in people that are going through the questions that i've gone through and then being able to help process with them through those same questions, you know, um, and um, being able to walk in this kind of family situation. Yeah. But that's been some of my experience. I I wonder too if, um, I wonder if part of the giftedness of LGBTQ culture, uh, the unique value and perspective that it offers is that the nuclear family is not enough yeah it's yeah. it's just not even the best ones are not mm-hmm. enough yeah it was never designed to be enough it was yeah exactly it was never designed to be enough and so we can be kind of i don't know the word but we can call attention to that like it's mm-hmm. The nuclear family is a very limited picture of what family is and can be. And because LGBTQ people need and seek after chosen family, and we've become really skilled in it, I think we can, we can offer that perspective to people 
who feel like they should be satisfied with their their biological family only with with valuing it and esteeming it above all other kinds of family um, we can show them that family is so much bigger and broader and um, yeah stranger yeah. <laughs> stranger than that um, not well, that biological family or families of origin are bad by no means they're great they're wonderful they can be so beautiful um, I'm just saying they're not enough and they yeah. weren't ever supposed to be enough well, and, and I think that the LGBTQ experience, like being LGBTQ and, and having the experience of community, like chosen family, like what we find many times in the side B community and many times even what I found abroad, like outside of that, um, has even impacted my understanding. Like the chosen family, I really think is probably the most easily like translated LGBTQ um, concept to Christian culture because 100%. the church was meant to mm -hmm. be your chosen family. And I think really what I've experienced inside B, what I've experienced with LGBTQ people has made me very unsatisfied with the community that many churches offer yeah. because now as I look for a church and like processing where my church home is now moving, living in Florida, um, it's like, I'm not satisfied with people that I just see on Sunday and go, hey, how are you before we sit down and listen to an hour long sermon? Yeah. Like, I want people to do life with because that is the church, yeah. you know? And I think that that makes us crave more and we want more from our church. Yeah. Um, and hoping that then we can help others see, just as you said, we can help others see that they're also not as satisfied with it. Like, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say like on the sides episode like that's that's what I feel like um, apart from the sexuality conversation of itself I think that's what side B represents mm -hmm. is this broader understanding of what family is and is supposed to be like I mean I, I, uh, I didn't articulate well because I didn't I fumbled with my words but like that's what I meant like that's what I think we have one of the things we have to offer the church, but it's like I think that's what it represents. It's not just the it's not just the celibacy position. It's not just the, you know, the the abstaining position. You know, it's it's this position of, you know, if you give up this this and this, God has so much more for you, and that what this like I said this broader definition of what family is can be and should be. Yeah. Yeah, I think. That I forgot. Is it Mark? It's one of the one of the Gospels. Um, Jesus talks about. Of course, it's a Gospel. Jesus is talking. Mark ten thirty three. Yeah, that's it. Where it's like um, anyone who's given up um, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters will receive in this life a hundredfold, like houses and mothers and brothers and. The interesting thing is, because I remember I've, I've, I've obsessed over that one a few times. Yeah. Um, if it's not obvious. It's 10.30, now let me see. Because it, he says some that you give up and some that aren't exactly replaced. Let's see. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters, mother, father, or children, or feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, 
such as mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and any age to come eternal life. One of the things that you gave up, because it says that you gave up homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers, and it says that you will give you in this life homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. he doesn't say fathers because that is him. Yes. In, mm. That's, that's, <gasps> it is. that's the way I see it. Correct. I love it. Yeah, and it reminds me of what um, Grant has written about before, and I think it was your response to the PCA um, statements. Uh, yes. yes, about um, that chosen family really is a clearer picture of what we're going to be doing in eternity because yes. nobody's going to be married. We're not going to be making our own biological families in eternity. Um, we are going to be siblings with our big brother, Jesus, with our heavenly father. And that is going to be this level playing field sort of family. And we have this beautiful opportunity to show people on earth that this is the fulfillment of this brotherly love, um, this unconditional love that we're supposed to be sharing with one another, that this is it. We are giving you the picture now that marriage is this tiny little picture of what Jesus is going to be doing for the church but it's not what we're going to be doing as individuals for eternity. Yeah, what we do now in our chosen family and relating with one another is what eternity is going to be like yeah. for us as individuals Ooh. and as community. And so having that place of saying, we are going to model this for you, especially in the time that we live, that we have idolized marriage and the, the family of origin so much in the church that we're missing what those other things should look like that we have this opportunity of saying actually this is something we've got if you'll just kind of step back and let us show you what this looks like we've been doing this for like decades now mm -hmm. yeah. um and yeah. and being able to contribute that to churches that desperately need it um is kind of our like called out moment in the church right now yeah yeah like i remember well, one of the things that I think about, um, I believe that um, side B people can also have a special place in what is missions because of, as Paul said, not having the spouse, you can dedicate yourself more to the yeah. Lord. And in different missionary communities that I've seen, um, we lived in community many a time, well, all the time. Um, when I was single, I was canned in with like, you know, 15 other women in a room and 30 to a house mm -hmm. and when I got married we got our own room but we're still living in a house with 50 60 other people and I loved it and I mean I have a lot of siblings so I've always had a lot of people mm -hmm. around but um I've always loved that community aspect so I've always thought that if they would be more accepting of us it's a place where we would thrive yeah but I do remember one time in one of the places we were living, it was it was one of the houses we were in, and one of the couples, they had two little girls. And one of them, she was probably two, maybe three, and she spent time with all of us. It was just a bunch of adults, and we loved it. Like, she would sit with us while we did our homework. She would mm -hmm. always ask for our phones or our tablets or what have we that she could entertain herself with <laughs> while her parents weren't around. And, you know, we loved her. She was, like, everybody's kid sister. She would, we'd go, like, go to prom and say, hey, can she have... Can I give her a piece of candy? Hey, I have some cookies, you know. Uh, can she do this? Can she do that? We're all very respectful. We obviously know that these are her parents, yeah. you know. 
we're not her, you know, blood family and, you know, respecting authority and everything. But I remember one time we were in, like, a staff meeting. And the, the, like, the director or whatever, she was talking. She's like, I think we need to pull back on this a little bit because... Um, the, these girls need to have clear who their parents are. And if all these different adults are, you know, you know, um, doing different things with them differently or, you know, um, how would you say, metiendo manos. Um, yeah. Um, like sticking okay. the nose where it doesn't belong to a yeah. certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't anything like we were doing anything bad. It'd be like, she comes sit and eat lunch with us instead of with her mom and dad. It was like at the same giant table. Yeah. Like nothing, nothing, nothing big, you know, only, only her parents brought her to the bathroom if she needed to go, you know, we're all sane adults. Um, but they were like, no, we, we need to pull the reins back on that because she's not going to be able to understand who her parents are in this situation and people need to kind of back off. And I was like, at the time it sounded a little bit off but as time has gone on i was like that was so off i was like it takes a village i was like i honestly think that situation was Hmm. not perfect because no situation is perfect but i mean it was i think it helped because i i the little girl's mom was like my mentor and i know that that helped because she had a baby at the time us helping with the two-year-old definitely helped um you know just getting her out of the room letting her come do something else while mom took care of the baby or sometimes she'd yeah. be going to do dinner and she'd be like since i do have like i said a lot of siblings she'd be like do you want to go give the baby a bath for me <laughs> you know I'd be like can you can you do this those are people that were very close to me and my husband at one point and then the other leaders that were over them came be like y'all as like two families like y'all are getting too close they're depending on you guys too much and we were like what like I mean we were young recently married you know it's like what have you guys say you know I don't know um but it was it there were there were a couple things that were like an awkward situation to marry me it was like to me the direction that things were going was the right one and everybody's mm-hmm. like all afraid people get close or get attached or I don't know it was it was it was just as time went on and I reflected I was like that was mm. weird yeah yeah I, I think that sometimes it's people don't know what to do with those things and they get scared. Yeah. And because obviously it's like if we really take if we really take literally how the Bible talks about what the church is meant to be, that they yeah. share everything in common, that they do these are radical yeah. concepts of community. And like in many ways it's crazy that for many of us that's what we experience that most among other lgbt christians mm-hmm. many yeah. times yeah. you know and it, it gives a glimpse that sometimes it's like ah i wish i could get my like straight friends to experience this but it sometimes comes from that unique bond that just clicks so it's really good that's um, another reason why I appreciate LGBTQ people in general. That like, I don't know. I, I have a lot of friendships that look very different than what like the typical model of a friendship looks like. And I can go to my queer friends and have conversations of like, here's what we're thinking about boundaries. Here's what this friendship is looking like, and know that like they've done the work of thinking outside of these structures. And so the advice that they're going to give me is not rooted in 
this idea of like what friendship should be and what a marriage should be, um, that they have more scaffolding mm -hmm. and thus are able to give advice that is actually helpful and constructive yeah. and not just looking at what the norm is and trying to match that norm. So oh, one more caveat I want to add before we move on. Um, yes. I, I think sometimes in the queer community as a whole, we can swing to the other extreme with chosen family and expect that every person that we interact with is like going to be this person who is going to be in our life forever, who is going to give us all of these things. And I think sometimes that keeps us from being able to accept the little moments as a gift and sets us up for unhealthy dynamics, mm. particularly with um, relationships that exist predominantly online. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah. And so I think that's something to be conscious of in this conversation and like with listeners that chosen family is really beautiful, but is also something um, that is sacred um, and that you can't just fall into and can't just come into it. Yeah, that. The other thing is um, I read this book called Black Girl Dangerous by Mia McKenzie. It was incredible. I recommend okay. it. Um, but she talked about queer space and that like as a black queer academic, it was really helpful for her to recognize that like just because I'm in a queer space doesn't mean that I'm going to find my people. If I'm mm. in a space with like black queer academics, then like those will be my people. But maybe I might bond more with a black academic who isn't queer and that like just because we're queer doesn't mean that I'm going to walk into the space instantly feel at home instantly yeah. feel belonging and everything's going to be great yeah that's true and I think sometimes we talk about this in a way that people walk into spaces and then are sad when it's not like this coming home moment but because of the vastness of queer identity and what that looks like in the ways that your family of origin and your context plays into it that sometimes you I mean I've gone to queer spaces and been like I had a black lesbian book club that I went to one time and at the end of it they were all talking about like their relationships to each other and how they had all hooked up before and all of this stuff and both on the side b front and the demi front I was like this is yeah. I am out I cannot engage this I don't feel a sense of belonging in this particular environment with this group of people even though we have so much in common um and yeah I just felt like that was important to so me. true yeah that is those that's like, so good it's part of like what Josh was talking about kind of like we was talking about it like in a meme sense of like that it's a lot of this for lack of a better term mm -hmm. trauma yeah. bonding of yeah. like yeah. you know like here's all my deep dark secrets here's you know because it's such sexuality is such a personal thing especially from us of faith background that it was something that we held inside for so yep. long and internalized and it's something that's so rooted into as much as even I want to try to say this nicely even those who like they they're, they're, they're very off put by identity things the thing is when you internalize it so much it still mm -hmm. becomes a big part of who you are mm -hmm. and so you bond over those experiences mm -hmm. and then you expect that person or the people sometimes that's like oh well, we're going to be best friends forever and it's like no it was a, it was it, it was a moment yeah. thing yeah you know and then and it it, it yeah. fades you know yeah. you don't you, you come to find out that you don't have anything mm -hmm. else in common you know mm -hmm. yeah. at all yeah. and that happens yeah. There's a meme. Oh, sorry, really quickly. There's a meme that's so on point with that. 
I don't know why I keep I've mentioned this one before where it's these two people meeting and one goes I'm gay and then goes yeah. no way I'm gay and then the one goes does that make us best friends and then the other person says no <laughs> like scared and then they say oh because being gay is only part of who we are and there's much more to learn about each other and then it shows that that person has a, a shirt that says flat earth society and the person goes yeah that's why <laughs> gosh yeah exactly it's 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 something i go back to sometimes it was a point where like our one of the groups like you know i think me and becca and Patricia stairs into like our women's group there was a point where it was like there were several us several of us that figured out we were star trek fans and it was like you know we met through sexuality but we all kind of bonded over that for like a good little minute and it's Mm -hmm. it's stuff like that where they're there are other aspects mm-hmm. to our lives. Yeah. I think... I, I guess what I'm getting from this, the, the, the idea that's coming to me is like, all of us in whatever family of origin we come from, um, and especially LGBTQ people, we, we notice these wounds that we develop by trying to keep things secret, by trying to wrestle, by not having the answers Mm -hmm. and not knowing someone who has the answers. And when we meet other LGBTQ people, there is a sense in which so many of those questions are answered and so many of those longings are fulfilled and so many of those wounds are healed. But we can end up tricking ourselves into thinking that, oh, now that some of them, some of these things are addressed, all of them will be this people will fix yeah. everything mm-hmm. yeah. and it's really tricky because so much of it is true like so much of our community with other lgbtq people is really healing we do experience so much healing and so much growth and so much um, joy but no people is gonna fix everything <laughs> and i think i know yep. This is maybe a fairly typical side B um, journey. But when I entered side B land, I thought, oh my gosh, these people are going to fix everything. They're going to fix everything. I've got all my longings fulfilled. I was just waiting for Mm -hmm. this chosen family and they're going to fix it. My life is going to be good now. I won't have to struggle like I've struggled before. And it took a while for me to be mature enough, I guess, to admit to myself that there's always going to be a woundedness. There's always going to be a loneliness that I'm going to have to grapple with. Um, And it's just because we live in the world we live in and not everything is perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. I know a a poet Mm -hmm. um, who's written um, a lot that really speaks to me. I've I've only read a little um, of his broader, broader works, but Rainer Maria, Maria Rilke, um, he wrote, like, um, gave advice about marriage. Uh, and one of his advices was, like, in a marriage, you're supposed to guard the solitude of the other. And I think mm-hmm. that's just true in general for all relationships. There's, there's something that people just won't, like, community can't be everything to you. There's got to be a a moment where it's just you and God. But yeah, finding that balance is so tricky. 
So I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah. That was really really good. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's it's tricky and it's hard. And when you finally find it, you have to fight yeah. hard for it. Yep. You yep. have to fight hard to keep it. It's, yeah, it's not. not it doesn't just stay together. I wish it was magic. And yeah. No, it, it yeah. is. It is not. I still remember. During, I, I've mentioned this before. I think I did it on the COVID thing. People that are all part of my chosen family. We tried to do a house together during the pandemic. Now, granted, yes, it was yes. during when we thought the world was ending, so there was a lot of stress on all of us. But we learned. There are some issues with the idea of all of, mm-hmm. all of us living mm-hmm, in the same mm-hmm. house. Just don't work. So, like, but that didn't mean we weren't chosen family. We are still a chosen family and we're still in each other's lives, but we have to work yeah. hard to yeah. keep it that. So. I think mm-hmm. it goes the same with, like, blood family. For sure. Like, <laughs> yes. I love all of you. You raised me. We grew up together. I'm, I cannot <laughs> live with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got through my childhood <laughs> with some of my sisters. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's like, I, I love you, and, and, and yeah. God put me on the earth with you in, like, the same plot of land, but it was not, that was not an eternity <laughs> thing. It's like the mm-hmm. first 18 yeah. years of my life, and then we yep. part ways. Yeah. Like, that yeah. And, and we're no yeah, less that family. That leave and cleave thing is best for everyone when, when people go out yes. and do their thing. Yeah. Well, I know that this doesn't, uh, obviously, like, so many of our topics this does not cover the yeah. scope of this topic oh, and I know we will get more down the road. You know, y'all, we've said it before. We get a lot of times where listeners will say, oh my gosh, I loved this episode. I want more on it. It was These are not cohesive conversations about these topics. They're we're still so in organic. season three. They're so sprawling. We we don't even know exactly. where we're going half the time. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. It's good. We always appreciate where we end up, but we don't really know how we're going to get there. True. Yeah. Exactly. So this is great. Um, Y'all, we hope that this has been helpful and good. Um, I also want to put this out there that if you are processing like your relationship to pride and you also want to hear a little bit more on that, there's also join our Patreon page. We have a bonus episode where I think it was Grant, Ashley, Mary, and I, right? It was the four of us. Yes. Yeah. We did last, last June. Year. We did. We have a bonus episode there, um, which talks a little bit about different how different side B people process their relationship to pride and all of that. You know, we hope that this can be a little bit of help for that, and then also that can potentially be help there as well. So throwing that out there as well, you can go to our um, links in our socials or um, on our website or anything there for that. Um, but yeah. I think this was a good episode, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I enjoyed Thanks it. Thanks for chatting, This y'all. has been fun. We're so, ba- so yeah. glad to have you back, Sarah. Thank you. After a little bit, a yes. few episodes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, they'll, thank you, everyone. Keep listening. Follow us on social media, all the things, and we'll talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.